Letter twenty four of Letters on England by Voltaire, edited by Henry Morley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Letters on England by Voltaire. Letter twenty four on the Royal Society and other academies the english had an academy of sciences many years before us but then it is not under such prudent regulations as ours the only reason of which very possibly is because it was founded before the academy of paris for had it been founded after it would very probably have adopted some of the sage laws of the former and improved upon others two things and those the most essential to man are wanting in the royal society of london i mean rewards and the laws a seat in the academy at paris is a small but secure fortune to a geometrician or a chemist but this is so far from being the case at london that the several members of the royal society are at a continual though indeed small expense any man in england who declares himself a lover of the mathematics and natural philosophy and expresses an inclination to be a member of the royal society is immediately elected into it but in france it is not enough that a man who aspires to the honour of being a member of the academy and of receiving the royal stipend has a love for the sciences he must at the same time be deeply skilled in them and is obliged to dispute the seat with competitors who are so much the more formidable as they are fired by a principle of glory by interest by the difficulty itself and by that inflexibility of mind which is generally found in those who devote themselves to that pertinacious study the mathematics the academy of sciences is prudently confined to the study of nature and indeed this is a field spacious enough for fifty or threescore persons to range in that of london mixes indiscriminately literature with physics but methinks the founding an academy merely for the politer arts is more judicious as it prevents confusion and the joining in some measure of heterogeneous such as a dissertation on the headdresses of the roman ladies with a hundred or more new curves as there is very little order and irregularity in the royal society and not the least encouragement and that the academy of paris is on a quite different foot it is no wonder that our transactions are drawn up in a more just and beautiful manner than those of the english soldiers who are under a regular discipline and besides well paid must necessarily at last perform more glorious achievements than others who are mere volunteers it must indeed be confessed that the royal society boasted their newton but then he did not owe his knowledge and discoveries to that body so far from it that the latter were intelligible to very few of his fellow-members a genius like that of sir isaac belonged to all the academies in the world because all had a thousand things to learn of him 
the celebrated dean swift formed a design in the latter end of the late queen's reign to found an academy for the english tongue upon the model of that of the french this project was promoted by the late earl of oxford lord high treasurer and much more by the lord bolingbroke secretary of state who had the happy talent of speaking without premeditation in a parliament house with as much purity as dean swift wrote in his closet and who would have been the ornament and protector of that academy those only would have been chosen members of it whose works will last as long as the english tongue such as dean swift mr pryor whom we saw here invested with a public character and whose fame in england is equal to that of la fontaine in france mr pope the english boileau mr congreve who may be called their molaire and several other eminent persons whose names i have forgotten all these would have raised the glory of that body to a great height even in its infancy but queen anne being snatched suddenly from the world the Whigs were resolved to ruin the protectors of the intended academy a circumstance that was of the most fatal consequence to polite literature the members of this academy would have had a very great advantage over those who first formed that of the french for swift prior congreve dryden pope addison etc had fixed the english tongue by their writings whereas chapelain colletet cassegnet faret behan cotin our first academicians were a disgrace to their country and so much ridicule is now attached to their very names that if an author of these genius in this age had the misfortune to be called chapelain or cotin he would be under a necessity of changing his name one circumstance to which the english academy should especially have attended is to have prescribed to themselves occupations of a quite different kind from those with which our academicians amuse themselves a wit of this country asked me for the memoir of the french academy i answered they have no memoir but I have printed threescore, fourscore volumes in quarto of compliments. The gentleman perused one or two of them, but without being able to understand the style in which they were written, though he understood all our good authors perfectly. All, oh, said he, I see in these elegant discourses is that the member-elect having assured the audience that his predecessor was a great man that the cardinal richelieu was a very great man that the chancellor seguille was a pretty great man that louis the fourteenth was a more than great man the director answers in the very same strain and adds that the member-elect may also be a sort of great man and that himself in quality of director must also have some share in this greatness the cause why all these academical discourses have unhappily done so little honour to this body is evident enough vitiem est temporis potiers quam ominis the fault is 
owing to the age rather than to particular persons. It grew up insensibly into a custom for every academician to repeat these eulogiums at his reception. It was laid down as a kind of law that the public should be indulged from time to time the sullen satisfaction of yawning over these productions. If the reason should afterwards be sought, why the greatest geniuses who have been incorporated into that body have sometimes made the worst speeches? I answer that it is wholly owing to a strong propension. The gentleman in question had to shine and to display a threadbare, worn-out subject in a new and uncommon light. The necessity of saying something, the perplexity of having nothing to say, and a desire of being witty are three circumstances which alone are capable of making even the greatest writer ridiculous. These gentlemen, not being able to strike out any new thoughts, hunted after a new play of words, and delivered themselves without thinking at all, in like manner as people who should seem to chew with great eagerness and make as though they were eating at the same time that they were just starved. It is a law in the French Academy to publish all those discourses by which only they are known, but they should rather make a law never to print any of them. But the Academy of the Belles Lettres have a more prudent and more useful object, which is to present the public with a collection of transactions that are abound with curious researches and critics. These transactions are already esteemed by foreigners, and it were only to be wished that some subjects in them had been more thoroughly examined, and that others had not been treated at all. As, for instance, we should have been very well satisfied, had they omitted, I know not, what dissertation on the prerogative of the right hand over the left, and some others, which, though not published under so ridiculous a title, are yet written on subjects that are almost as frivolous and silly. The Academy of Sciences, in such of their researches as are of a more difficult kind, and a more sensible use, embrace the knowledge of nature and the improvements of the arts. We may presume that such profound, such uninterrupted pursuits as these, such exact calculations, such refined discoveries, such extensive and exalted views, will, at last, produce something that may prove of advantage to the universe. Hitherto, as we have observed together, the most useful discoveries have been made in the most barbarous times. One would conclude that the business of the most enlightened ages and the most learned bodies is to argue and debate on things which were invented by ignorant people. We know exactly the angle which the sail of a ship is to make with the keel in order to its sailing better, and yet Columbus discovered America without having the least idea of the property of this angle. However, and far from inferring from hence that we are to confine ourselves merely to a blind practice, 
but happy it were would naturalists and geometricians unite as much as possible the practice with the theory strange but so it is that those things which reflect the greatest honour on the human mind are frequently of the least benefit to it a man who understands the four fundamental rules of arithmetic aided by a little good sense shall amass prodigious wealth in trade shall become a sir peter delme a sir richard hopkins a sir gilbert heathcote while if the poor algebraist spends his whole life in searching for astonishing properties and relations in numbers which at the same time are of no manner of use and will not acquaint him with the nature of exchanges this is very nearly the case with most of the arts there is a certain point beyond which all research serve to no other purpose than merely to delight an inquisitive mind those ingenious and useless truths may be compared to stars which by being placed at too great a distance cannot afford us the least light with regard to the french academy how great a service would they do to literature to the language and the nation if instead of publishing a set of compliments annually they would give us new editions of the valuable works written in the age of louis the fourteenth purged from the several errors of diction which are crept into them there are many of these errors in cornille and moller but those in la fontaine are very numerous such as could not be corrected might at least be pointed out by this means as all the europeans read those works they would teach them our language in its utmost purity which by that means would be fixed to a lasting standard and valuable french books being then printed at the king's expense would prove one of the most glorious monuments the nation could boast i have been told that boileau formerly made this proposal and that it has since been revived by a gentleman eminent for his genius his fine sense and just a taste for criticism but this thought has met with the fate of many other useful projects of being applauded and neglected End of letter twenty four recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith End of Letters on England by Voltaire